Everybody, it is Clothed Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. I'm Chris Small, and today I am wearing a gray t-shirt, a plaid overshirt, and some maroon pants. A lot of maroon comes into this recording. I find that either one of us is wearing maroon. I always think of that color as either maroon or what it's in clothing as oxblood, which is a color name that my wife hates. <laughs> Whenever I mention that color, she says, could you please stop referring to this as that color? That's really, really gross. Um, and I'm E from Ellis, and today I'm not wearing anything that's maroon. Uh, I am wearing some uh, forest green uh, roots sweatpants uh, and a Mountain Goats t- tour t-shirt from the 2019 In League with Dragons tour uh, that has some swords on it and the phrase outnumbered and unafraid. I like that. It's a badass mantra. Yeah, it is. It's a lyric from one of my favorite songs of theirs, Clemency for the Wizard King, which is a song about asking for clemency for your wizard king. Checks out. Yep. It, it, it does make sense. I feel like if the Bare Naked Ladies called their fifth album Oxblood, it probably wouldn't have sold as well. So No, um, I'm also surprised at the number of times that the word maroon came up in our earlier episodes and we did not make a joke about the album maroon. <laughs> just didn't jump on it that's right but we're not talking about oxblood and we're not talking about maroon this week we're talking about silver ball the 11th album by the bare naked ladies released on june 2nd 2015 the number one song on the billboard 100 chart that week was bad blood by taylor swift featuring kendrick lamar say uh pretty good song it still is in heavy rotation in my household because uh, my wife loves some tay tay when she's cleaning so it's pretty catchy yeah, we're getting into that period. Not that I wasn't in this period before, because it's not like I ever listened to a tremendous amount of Top 40, but I, yeah, I, I don't remember that song at all. Um, I do remember the album To Pimp a Butterfly that Kendrick Lamar put out, but I don't remember I don't remember the T-Swift song at all. Yeah, that album also came out in 2015, so I feel like you know he shows up on Bad Blood, and it's just like, I'm here because my agent told me it would be good publicity. He was featured on everything that year. Rightly so. He is a very talented musician. Yeah. Um, I really liked his uh, verse that he contributed to the U2 track. Oh, shoot. What was the name of that song? Because, again, why was Kendrick Lamar featured on a U2 song? Absolutely doesn't make any sense. You weren't kidding when you said everyone. It's just Taylor Swift, U2. Yes. All the people that did not make any sense. Uh, The number one song on the Canadian Billboard 100 chart that week was Bad Blood by Taylor Swift featuring Kendrick Lamar. So a bit of an overlap there. The number one song of 2015 as a whole was Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars. Now, I never mind. I do remember that song. Everyone remembers that song. That song had this weird thing because I think Riptide by Vance Joy also came out around that time. And I just thought it was this weird kind of renaissance of Michelle Pfeiffer in lyrics. Like both of those very popular songs just reference Michelle Pfeiffer. And I'm like, oh, all right. She's making a bit of a mini comeback in a very specific way. And when those references came up, I was always thinking to myself, oh yeah, she was a huge movie star. Whatever happened to Michelle Pfeiffer? 
Like, I see Mike, because again, these are the movies that make up my references. I mean, I still see Michael Keaton in tons of stuff. I still see Danny DeVito in tons of stuff. Why don't I see Michelle Pfeiffer in tons of stuff? Why isn't there a Batman Returns return reunion? I love that your references are my references, because every time I hear Uptown Funk and I hear that first line, I just go, she was in Batman Returns, and then continue on with my merry life. And speaking of Michelle Pfeiffer, the number one song of 2015 on the Canadian Billboard charts, Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars. So two very popular songs with an overlap in Canada and the U.S., so not a lot of contrast there. Uh, I didn't write this joke. This is a joke that was put on Twitter by my good friend Sam Linton, but he very rightfully pointed out that the song Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars made him imagine dragons far more than any song by the band Imagine Dragons. <laughs> because of that one line, make a dragon want to retire, man. It's, uh, it's, it's good. That's pretty good. It's a great tune. <gasps> um, the singles released in 2015 for Silver Ball, there were three of them. The lead-off single to promote the album was Say What You Want, followed by Silver Ball, and then Duct Tape Heart. Uh, Say What You Want and Silver Ball came out prior to the release of the album, while Duct Tape Heart came out only five weeks after its release. So it was a really quick kind of turnaround of singles. They all came out in like the course of two months, actually. And this is getting a bit into our own opinions a little bit soon while we're still talking about the facts of the album, but I think those are the three wrong singles. I think those are all incorrect. Ooh, juicy. I have three other songs that I definitely think should have been the singles instead. Oh, such a good hook. Stay tuned, listeners. Yep. Now you have to. Yep. You can't uh, can't stop now. Yeah. And if we were making enough traction to have paid promotion, this is where our Blue Chew or Casper Mattress advertisement would come in to really uh, get on the hook there. Or QuickBooks or Geico, QuickBooks. of all things. There's a lot of Geico commercials on some of my the podcasts I listen to now, which is kind of weird. There are three singles that are better than this, but here's some good news. I just saved a bunch of money on my car insurance. <laughs> This whole thing's a Geico ad. Um, The performance of this album commercially, 4,000 physical copies were sold in Canada the first week of release, and 11,000 physical copies in the U.S. on its first week of release. It debuted at number 46 on the Billboard 200 album chart and number 5 on the Top Rock Albums chart. Now, I say physical copies uh, and releases because this is the year of our Lord 2015, and this is very much where streams, Spotify, Apple Music was the predominant factor for how an album did. So in that case, the digital performance of this album, I can only speak for Spotify because that is my streaming platform of choice, but the average listens per song as of this date that we are recording in 2021 is 265,000 listens, with the exception of Duct Tape Heart, which has 1.6 million listens, so that is clearly the standout of the album, at least on Spotify, so, but apparently you might not be a fan, Ephraim, so uh, I'm, I'm curious about getting into that. Well, I was just about to say, oh, I guess I guess that's a pretty good song. I guess that makes sense. Like, <laughs> like all three of the singles are good songs. There's just others, like, so many, there, so many tracks on this record are so singly. Like, everything is so, so poppy and so catchy that most of them, I think, could work as singles. And there are just three other songs that I think are better in that regard. All right, I'll... I want to play a guessing game when we go through. I'm going to try to guess which ones are going to be singles. I like the way that you think. So, Silver Ball. The album cover art title and very loose concept of the album, I guess, is based around Ed Robertson's love of 
Pinball. So, you know, 11th album, getting a bit self-indulgent. Uh, he's always been a massive video game fan, uh, in particular Pinball. So I did a bit of research to this. There was actually a massive article on uh, the CBC news website prior to them being inducted into the uh, Canadian Music Hall of Fame in 2018. So uh, journalists went and visited Ed Robertson and checked out his pinball room in his house. He actually has 25 working pinball machines in his house. Apparently he got hooked playing pinball uh, that they had the machines that they had at the campus pub when he was a student at York. Um, and I didn't actually know this. He actually doesn't drink, uh, smoke, or do drugs. So his one... Wait, what? What? Ed Robertson practices teetotalism? Yeah, apparently. Like, it's it's not nothing in terms of like, oh, he's just never really uh, been fond of drinking or, or doing drugs or anything like that. So huh. his one vice, apparently, after they first started playing clubs, like late at night in Toronto, he'd go to like coffee shops or laundromats and look for pinball machines to play. That ancient and unfindable institution that used to be everywhere, the arcade. Mm-hmm. A couple of other weird pinball facts about Ed Robertson. His favorite <laughs> pinball machine is Star Trek The Next Generation, the pinball machine. He's he's right. He's right. That is an excellent, excellent pinball machine. When I was in high school, there was a... It, like We were very, very close friends. We were more like acquaintances, but we all like hung out with the same people. Um, I was very surprised to find out that this loose acquaintance of mine was extremely rich. Ah. Because we, I only went to his house once, and when we rolled up to his house, it was huge and he had an entire like his basement was full of all of these so many games like a pool table foods like all these things and the specifically the star trek the next generation pinball machine and it's a great pinball machine side note i used to uh my first year of high school I went to a friend's house in Vaughn. Oh, yeah. And the house was massive. And I'm like, oh, you must be really rich, too. And it wasn't until I grew up I learned that every house in Vaughn was massive. So <laughs> like he, he was still very well off. But I'm like, oh, no, it's just, you know, you can afford a lot more real estate by, you know, living an hour outside of the city, but five minutes away from Canada's Wonderland. The city above Toronto or whatever that jingle was on <laughs> the radio before. So it went from, and, and apparently, again, like, I, I cannot emphasize enough how much of a pinball fanatic Ed Robertson is because Bare Naked Ladies now tour with a pinball machine as well. They bring a pinball machine along on the road with them. So, okay, but like, they're not... They're not like Drake. They're not like driving around in like a private 727 or something. No. Are they with like a screen? I thought they were still on a bus. How do they fit the pinball machine on the bus? They very much are, which is why I always very much loved like BNLs. Not DIY aesthetic because they definitely are well off enough where, you know, they don't have to mm -hmm. worry about setting up anything. But they still are very, you know, they bring their families along um, to local shows. Like they don't have huge riders. But I do love just the opulence and just like rock star mentality of being like, no, I must have my pinball machine in the back <laughs> Because it soothes me. Well, again, because that's the one thing. If he doesn't have drugs or alcohol exactly. or any of the other rock and roll vices. Well, and there's this is a direct quote from Ed Robertson from that article, which I thought was very sweet. Um, According to Ed, it's been a really great thing for me, that is pinball, because it's connected me to a whole community of people, collectors and tournament players. It's given me another community outside of music that is really fun, really vibrant and cool. So I think that's awesome. Also, something I didn't know, burying the lead a little bit in that quote, there are pinball tournaments? Yes. Oh, my God. There are com There's competitive pinball? That's neat. I didn't know that. Yes. So on a personal note, Ed Robertson may love pinball. I hate 
pinball. I have probably put a total of like 50 bucks in my life, which isn't a lot, but that's only given me about 10 minutes of enjoyment. Like, <laughs> I am not good at pinball. There's this really amazing um, arcade bar in Melbourne, and they've actually got an entire room dedicated to pinball machines, and they do a monthly pinball tournament. So me and my brother-in-law went, um, we've been a few times actually, just uh, something because he's a big video game fan. So we'll go have a couple of drinks. And every time I'm like, you know what? Let's play some pinball. Let's see. Like, it's got to be fun. Everyone talks about how much fun it is. It's like a niche hobby. It's just, I mean, I I can't figure out how to play. Like, I know it's like, oh, you're supposed to tilt the machine or whatever. But I got yelled at the bartender for tilting it. He's like, what are you doing to my machine? No, no, you're not supposed to tilt the machine. But everyone does. That's the whole thing. That tilting is cheating. That the, the tilt screen shuts off the like when it says tilt, 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 is that the machine has detected you've tilted it and therefore you are cheating, therefore you lose your play. Oh, so that bartender was right to yell at yes. he, was, he was very rude, but very justified. Yes, though again, as you're saying, niche hobby, old timey thing, you know, yes. how are you to know? You just know you're you just hear the word tilt, you think automatically you're supposed to tilt. There you go. Well, it is so old timey too, because actually like another thing about Ed Robertson is that he's become really proficient in repairing pinball machines. And that is something that you need for this hobby because they break down constantly because it is like an analog device. Like it's not like a motherboard or anything like that. So he was just like, oh yeah, I used to have repair people come into my house all the time. And then I just looked at what they were doing and I said, I could do that. And so now he just knows how to repair these pinball machines. And according to his wife, he buys every new pinball machine that comes out a year, which apparently there's only three new pinball machines a year that come out. She's like, ah, it's fun. It keeps him out of trouble, <laughs> which is just <laughs> such, a, such like a darling thing to say. And you know, like good on him for making an album loosely fitting around a hobby you're passionate about. I mean, like I, the Mountain Goats beat me to it because the Mountain Goats uh, made this amazing concept album about wrestling that you actually turned me on to. And I love it. And it's in my constant rotation. When I first started listening to that record, I was like, I need to send this to Chris Small immediately because it's an indie rock record from the mid 2000s slash, well, early 2010s. Um, and it's a concept record about wrestling. Chris would love this. I'm going to hit you in the back of the head with a foreign, foreign object. object. Foreign object, foreign so object. Good. Similarly to like, there's another there's another Canadian songwriter, uh, John K. Sampson from the Weaker Thans, um, who keeps on putting video game references in his lyrics, but he doesn't play video games. He's just interested, like he's fascinated by the concept of playing video games, even though he doesn't himself. I feel like wrestling is that with me. I don't watch wrestling. I have never had it. Like you've never sat me down and said, "Watch this classic match" or anything like that. Like I don't watch wrestling. But so many things, I, I like so many things that were written about wrestling, like that Goats concept album. I've listened to a bunch of podcasts with like interviews about like that, the way that industry works, just because it's so weird and interesting. Oh, yeah. it's. But it, I've never actually watched the actual thing. I've only watched stuff about that thing. There have been definitely times in our friendship where I've been like, oh, there's this amazing match and you should watch it. And like, you've always been very, very polite and been like, yeah, no, we should do that. But like enough of like, I'm just like, it probably won't happen. <laughs> not, not in like a bad way, but I'm like, that's ah, okay. We could do the sequel podcast. That was your, uh, that was your concept. That was the Gilmore guys, but about wrestling <laughs> that we were going to get to. So what are, so we've talked a bit about the concepts of this album and exactly why it was made and the theme around it. Uh, what, what are your thoughts, yeah. Ephraim? What are your thoughts on this album? So, when it first came out, I specifically remember my thoughts about it when it was released. And it was that, yeah, this is pretty good, but, um, I don't know. Like, it's only been two years. Why did they put out something so fast? 
Surely they could have waited an extra, like, 18 months and really chosen a, like, stellar collection of songs. It really feels like they just put this out to put it out. I don't know. It seems okay. But my first note after re-listening to it in the in the recent uh, past to prepare for this episode is, never mind about my preview from last episode, this album slaps. <laughs> um, now I really, really like this album. Um, to me, it feels a bit like Grinning Streak 2 in the same way that Maroon felt like Stunt 2. Hmm. That, like, it's a similar vibe. It's not as good, but it's pretty darn close. And has, like, yeah, has a really, really similar vibe, has a lot of that similar confidence. It feels like a very mature record to me. The more I looked at the lyrics, it felt like there was a lot of stuff about, like, aging and, like, relationship troubles but not breaking up throughout it, which was really, really cool. And something I was wondering if you felt the same way. I feel like maybe one of the reasons I found this forgettable when it first came out is because this is, like, the first one that's come out since I turned 30. And I feel like that's when I started having that, like, old person feeling that music is not what it used to be and nothing will ever be as good as stuff that came out in my early 20s, and therefore nothing that came out is ever going to be as good as older stuff I like just by virtue of where I am in my life and my memories of things. That's a really interesting point, and I can, like, that actually speaks to me a lot. I'm very similar to you. It's actually funny because, like, I, I definitely have that mentality, but I think, like, whenever I see a new album or music that comes out from a band that I like, I almost get low-key anxiety. Like, it's so odd, and I think it's a combination of one just being, like, I didn't even know that an album was coming out. Oh, my goodness, because I'm so used to, like, a hype train or just, like, that there's going to be a bit happening. But when I see something that's just suddenly dropped, I almost feel an obligation to listen to it. And I think the way that I process music now or we do process music, you know, it's a bunch of selected songs, curated playlists, things like that. It's almost like, oh, do I have the patience or do I have the mental capacity to listen to a full-length album? And similar to what you just said, too, it's more like that, oh, looking through the lens of... Am I like, am I so set in my ways now? Like, is this actually going to, am I going to have new opinions of something or is this going to disappoint me by default? So that's really interesting. And yeah, I think I can very much see that. Like, I think a lot of new stuff that comes out by bands I like, it definitely takes a few listens these days and I might have to come back retroactively to it because I'm very similar to you. I, I think that this is a lot of songs on this album definitely do remind me of Grinning Streak. I've actually got that in my notes. It's still, I stand by the fact that it's probably not in my top five or anything like that, but I think it might crack the top 10 now. Yeah, no, 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 me too. Um, yeah, no, when it comes to like its placement, I think that Silver Ball is lower on my placement in general, but that's just because there's no room. Mm. Like there's no more room. Like something's gotta be at the bottom and the thing is that even the stuff at the very bottom of my list, like, BNL is still one of my favorite bands. I love all of their records. So even the stuff, whatever ends up being in last place, is still an album I really, really like. It's just down there because we decided we wanted to put it in an order. Yeah. Because it would be fun uh, content for our podcast. Very well said. And I think one of the other reasons it might be is that now that I'm in Australia, and now that this was 2015, I left in 2016, a lot of times that I will get into a band's new music is through live performances and mm, I wasn't yeah. here 
to listen. I wasn't in Canada to actually hear anything on the tour, uh, which is interesting because they actually released a live album, which is BNL Rocks Red Rocks from the Red Rocks Amphitheater. That's a tongue twister. Uh, while touring for Silver Ball, uh, and that was released in 2016. Uh, and the Red Rocks Amphitheater is in Morrison, Colorado. It, apparently, it's built into a rock structure, and based on the photos I've seen, it looks pretty damn awesome. I was going to say, there's a picture of it on the cover of that live album, and it's really cool. It's so awesome, yeah. So I feel like had I been, because I think one of the reasons, I mean, Grinning Streak's a phenomenal album, but like we t- mm-hmm. we touched on last episode, three of the five times I saw BNLs when they were touring for Grinning Streak. So I think that really ingratiated that mm. album into my head as well. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the last time that I saw them, but I haven't seen I haven't seen them live in years, so that also might explain why the last two most recent records have kind of like fallen off my radar a yeah. bit. Yeah, again, and also just combined with Yeah, I'm in my mid thirties now and I now know so much music. There are so many things I could be listening to. I don't I don't like just start putting a new record that comes out on repeat anymore yes i switch around a lot more than i used to when i was younger absolutely and also with the advent of spotify i end up making playlists and just listening to playlists a lot these days instead of putting on full albums so yeah it's weird side note anyone who is listening and follows us on twitter you can find ephraim's bare naked ladies are me men playlist on our official Twitter feed. It's pretty damn good and I think condenses those 29 overblown tracks into a nice uh, nice little package of the best of the best. And speaking of tracks, should we get into tracks for this album? I think that we absolutely should. I think this sounds great. Yeah. Fantastic. Track number one, Get Back Up. Get back, get back up. You gotta get back, get back up. You got a whole stadium in their feet. It's not about a victory or a It's okay. What are what are your thoughts? Oh, this is one of my singles. Ah, this there is we one go. Of my singles, man. Okay, so I I've put here the signature riff is really good just from the beginning. Down, 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 down. Oh, I'm gonna have to sing. That. It has <laughs> it has such a very like Joel Plaskett vibes to me. Oh, that's cool. I didn't notice that. Yeah, just like some of some of the stuff he yeah. did in um, in Lightning Bolt um, specifically. Like it's got a very similar riff, um, just like that kind of energy. It does seem to be in that school of let's try to write a catchy single. So I think that's funny that you said it's one of your singles. Um, talk talk to me about your thoughts on this. So aside from being a single, why do you think it should have been, and what do you think about the song? So I don't, I don't know. It, like uh, <laughs> in the past couple of weeks, because I've had this album on repeat, um, I've been listening to this record a lot at the gym and this is a great workout sound song for me i could see that like i don't know this has like a like it feels like a training montage song but like not from a real sports movie like from dodgeball or something <laughs> like that like i think this would be a great training montage song in like a comedy sports movie yeah i really like the message because it's got this whole like just really simple like never give up kind of feeling to it which you hear in a lot of training montage songs um I also thought it was kind of interesting because, uh, as I was saying, my initial impression of the album when it first came out was that they should have waited to release something more polished or, like, waited a little bit longer to put something more, like, big and important out because I thought, oh, they just put out Greening Street. But this whole song, there's a bunch of lines in it is that it's not about victory or defeat, not everything is sink or swim. So maybe they just wanted to put this thing out because they wanted to, and that's okay. And I think that's what this song is about, is just, like, putting it out there and doing things again. I like that. 
it's also a really strong opening. It is, definitely. Yeah. Again, that, that signature riff is so good, and the fact that it, yeah. it goes through the entire thing. This was also written once again with better than Ezra frontman Kevin Griffin, who made his first appearance uh, last album. So the one story I got from this, which is great, apparently he was particularly tickled by the Muhammad Ali line, which is, Muhammad Ali, can I get a woot for the boxing imagery? And he said when he first heard that, he said to, God damn, you really are Ed Robertson, aren't you? Which I love that yes. the legend of Ed Robertson Yes. lives on. Apparently that happened when they were in the studio and they were writing it and they couldn't figure out a way to end the second chorus, sorry, the second verse. And Ed said, oh, wait, how about this line? And read out the Muhammad Ali line and there was a pregnant pause. And then he said, God damn, you really are Ed Robinson, aren't you? So good. So good. <sighs> I mean, the fact that this actually led off the Live at Red Rocks album. Oh, okay. Cool. And on that tour, that clearly means that this song was the one that first started. So yeah, it is it is kind of odd now that you say it. Like it definitely has singles vibes and I and I don't understand why they yeah. why why they didn't. And similar to some of their other most popular and enduring singles has just a little bit of the Jokey Boys in there. Definitely. With the Muhammad Ali gag and the Brad Pitt reference. I really dig that Brad Pitt reference in the middle of it. It's really good. It's very funny. It's subtle jokey boys, because I know you don't like yeah. when they go full jokey, but this is enough where it's like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think it, for me, it hits that sweet spot where like it's good in the song and it's lighthearted and it's funny and witty and not overpowering and weird and novelty band sort of feeling, so. Yeah. Well, that's a segue to go into track two, Here Before. But maybe it's the wrong bed. You can get tangled up and do your best to try landing on your feet and still wind up landing on your head. I like this one. It's it's a good slower jam. Um, I think it's actually well suited for the second track. So we talk about how Get Back Up is a good starting track. I think Here Before is really good as the second song on the album. Um, I think it's very Matchbox 20 again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I dig that. If I were to take a stab at the lyrical meaning, because, I mean, you were saying Get Back Up is very witty. It has that lyricism. Um, it's very positive. I think it's possibly about depression, this song. Hmm. And, I, and I say that it's just being in that mindset in the past, not wanting to go back to negative thoughts. That's kind of the way I interpreted it. As I'm looking at it, I'll never not take for granted things that have happened. You know, I don't want to look crappy. I don't want to go back to that place again. So to me, just speaks to being in a negative mindset. I am with you on that, and I like that interpretation, because I was in a similar place with my feeling on the meaning of the lyrics, but uh, it sounds like you're thinking of it more as a conversation with yourself, mm -hmm. and I was thinking of it more as a um, more as a love song kind of thing, that it was talking about negative feelings in a relationship. You know, like, we've been here before, meaning we've been in this fight before, and that, you know, we're going to make it through this period and come back to... A feeling of balance so i was thinking of it more as a, a song with two characters but i i like your idea that maybe it's just a conversation that the speaker is having with themselves i definitely when i first listened to it and then i kind of really analyzed the lyrics that was my first impression as well um mm -hmm. like you said and i think that there's definitely merit there i think the only reason i say it might be just singular in an inner battle is because there's a lot of it just seems like it's a very singular song like it's not Mm. To me, it's not it's not a call and response. It's more like he's he's really talking about I I I. So I'm just thinking, oh, and Ed Robertson's had not not problems or issues, but I think that like just with the tumultuous kind of experiences with the band and with everything else, um, mm -hmm. I could very much see him being in that negative headspace certain times and just trying to stay positive. Mm -hmm. 
so I don't know if you listen to any of these, but I listen to all of the uh, Spotify commentary tracks that the band did for this record. Ooh, nice. Um, which are really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. If you go on Spotify, they've got like a director's commentary kind of thing for each of the songs. It's about like two minutes per track. And in that commentary track the for for here before uh ed and tyler both specifically point out that they really like the bridge of this song interestingly tyler stewart goes on record saying that he thinks that two of the bands with the best bridges in rock and roll are the beatles and metric oh wow okay a little bit of hometown pride there as well as lloyd and Bo bridges bridges <laughs> metric take that imperial <laughs> here comes metric that's a really dumb joke and <laughs> And Tyler also uh, specifically pointed out, which something I didn't notice, which like again is cool because I'm like, oh, got it straight from the band's mouth. Is that they like really, really focused on the percussion in this song? Like they just like everybody gets a bass drum mm. is what he said. Um, <laughs> so they just like layers upon layers of a percussion injection to kind of create this kind of like almost we will rock you kind of drum beat behind it, which I really, really like because um, I feel like musically in here before the two strongest sections are the percussion and the and the keys because like kev is just wailing on the keys the entire song uh and i love it i thought it was just going to be like the opening riff and it was going to fade into the background the guitars are going to take over but no it's just Mm. keys all the way down and it's great and i dig it the percussion is very much prevalent and apparent in that so it makes sense that I, I didn't know any of that, and that's great. The fact that like there were so many other bass drums, and it checks out in terms of like listening to to it now. Just that that prevailing percussion. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, what's your weigh in on the guessing game for this track? I'm gonna say no. I don't think that this was a single for you. Uh I do. Damn it! <laughs> right off the bat. So first two. Okay. <laughs> Tracks one and two. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Now it just it just makes uh, the third one all the more enticing. <laughs> I know. I just I just love the keys in it. It's so oh, oh. Well, I know that track 4 won't be in that guessing game because it actually is a single, the first single off the album, Duck Taped Heart. We are on track 3. Well, maybe it's track 3 now. <laughs> let's let's edit that out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, cool. All right. Well, let's let's see if we can do track 3 then. Matter of time. I forfeit Take for the moment, swore this wasn't gonna go bad. More fits, guess it was a matter of time. At war with anything and anyone that you're with, I really gotta hand it to you for this. Guess it was a matter of time. I guess it was a matter of time. Time flies. This is also about Steve? That's the note I've got. Um, I just can't get the idea. I cannot get the idea that Best Damn Friend was about Steve out of my head since you did that. I think it it absolutely is. It's very funny because like when we recorded the Grinning Streak album, you blew my mind. I re-listened to the Grinning Streak episode, you blew my mind again. Just, uh, (laughs) uh, but now I look at this song and I think it's Ed getting less and less optimistic, whereas Best Damn Friend was a very positive way of looking at it. Um, You know, he's saying time heals, but things are regressing rather than healing. So it's almost like he did Best Damn Friend, it's two years later, and I don't think his relationship is where he wants it to be with Steve. So that's kind of my interpretation. What do you think? Yet again, almost exactly the same as here before. I thought this was more about 
again, like a, a romantic relationship and getting into dark periods in a relationship and moving through them. But I like your version too. I think I know which one is your third single. So I'm yeah. only going to guess it because I feel like it cheapens it. If I, Unless this is the one you say, this well, is your third single. I'm like the first three off the bat. That, that would be no, insane. No, this is not my third single. This is not my third single. <laughs> this is this is heavily into the mountain goat scale if that was the case. <laughs> yeah, and one of the reasons I was thinking that this was about a, uh, a relationship and specifically it was about like a romantic thing was the like in the, the second verse, it was um, time flies and goodbyes pile up behind you. You release and make mm-hmm. peace they come back to find you. So again, I, I really thought it was about like a longer term relationship and working through tough periods in that relationship and then making it through, which I feel like is kind of like a recurring theme on this album because we've already had two songs about that and almost even Get Back Up is a bit like that, even though I think that one's more about art rather than a relationship. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of like what we were saying in Bare Naked Ladies Are Men. A lot of their songs about that were about relationships and mm-hmm. just either breakups or making it work. And I've got this note on a song down the list here, the track listing, spoiler alert, is that now I think through the lens of Steve leaving the band, any song that's about a breakup, I'm like, maybe this is about Steve. You never know. Yeah, there's there's another song later on that I definitely, I definitely do think about is about Steve, but I'm also pretty convinced that that's just me projecting and it's not actually about him more fun uh notes from the band on this song according to tyler stewart a matter of time is a festival of kevin hearn sounds and delights (laughs) what a description i love that yeah and also fun story uh that i pulled out of those commentary tracks ed's does ed only have one son yeah, and he's got a daughter as well. Okay, cool. so he's got two kids. Okay, so Ed's son, Lyle, um, tried to give his dad a, a positive comment on this song, but ended up extremely insulting him oh. by saying, oh yeah, this song's really, really good. Um, your, your your vocals are really, really, uh, really, really vulnerable. You, you, you sound like Kermit's nephew, Robin, in a good way. <laughs> what a specific <laughs> compliment slash just comment. That's great. To which Ed was like, oh, I don't want to sound like a Muppet. And not even just the most famous Muppet. It's not even like, I sound like Kermit the Frog. It's Robin the Frog. No one wants to sound like Robin the Frog. Uh, Probably broke his heart and would need some duct tape to fix that. Duct tape heart is the next track. Kevin Griffin co-writing again. This is mm-hmm. the first of three singles. Uh, right off the bat, I thought it was Oh Mickey. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and then I'm like, surely. Oh, okay, checks out. <laughs> While it's for sure an analogy about repairing a broken heart, it also has so many facts about literal duct tape, which I really dig. Which... Again, from the mouth of the band, they legit just got off Wikipedia in the studio while they were writing the song. <laughs> nice. Specifically, specifically the, the line, polyethylene gold, comma, pressure sensitive tape is just the first five words of the Wikipedia article on duct tape. And they used it as the bridge. <laughs> they did. They did. 
Oh, it's so good. Um, and then right after that line of the bridge, they go on to uh, talk about fix the fender on the rover that was left on the moon. And that actually happened. That actually indeed happened mm-hmm. in 1972 when Gene Cernan lost a fender on their rover on the moon and he fixed it with a roll of duct tape. Pretty cool. And because everyone in Canada knows each other, like all yep. famous people in Canada <laughs> knows each other, um, apparently Chris Hadfield came and just hung out with the band while they were recording this album, famous Canadian astronaut. And while they were recording this, Ed did not mention the space reference in this song and was just, while he was singing, kind of side-eyeing Chris Hadfield, he's like, is he going to notice the moon line? Eh? Eh? Chris Hadfield's going to think we're cool. We put in a line about the moon. I just finished reading a book, uh, Live from New York, which is like an oral history of Saturday Night Live, told from like all of the cast, crew, everyone else. And just the amount of stories that like Lorne Michaels tells, or people say, oh, Lorne Michaels, he was just this guy who found like, had like a collection of famous people. Like he was just friends with Paul, <laughs> like notoriously like best friends with Paul Simon. Wait, what? Really? Yeah, they're they're still Jeez. best friends to this day. And um, like all of these people where he would just like have dinner with them. So I feel like their bare naked ladies are like really, really low key local stakes. Just like the version of Lorne Michaels where yeah, same thing. It's like, oh, we got Chris Hadfield coming into the studio. He's not Paul Simon, but he still plays the guitar. And has Paul Simon been on the moon? No. (laughs) Chris Hadfield seems like an interesting guy that way too, because he's like, oh, he's a cool, you know, action man, famous astronaut, scientist guy, but he also clearly wants to be a musician. Like clearly wants to be a rock star as well, Mm -hmm. because he keeps on doing these like acoustic things from the space station. Oh yeah, and he co-wrote a song with Ed Robertson that he played from the space station. Oh yeah, I think that's what. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked about the history behind the song. What did you think about it? Um, I do think that it is a good, catchy, fun single. Yeah, it works as a single. I like it. The metaphor is super, super fun, but I'm still surprised that they managed to stretch it out for an entire song rather than just like one verse of a song, which means that it is so close to being over the line of too much jokey boys for me. Yeah. It's very, very close, but it, it comes right up to the edge and does not put nary a toe over that line. I, I think that the lyrics really, really work and I like it. I also very much like the fact that um, the Bare Naked Ladies go-to resource for creative lyrics and creativity is Wikipedia, which is similar to my go-to resource when I'm like, oh, I've got to think of uh, some creative things to put in a script. Yeah, for me, it's it's the Wikipedia and good old thesaurus.com. Let's not forget that old chestnut. Yeah, no, I do like Duct Tape Heart as well, and I think that there's a reason that it's the highest listen to song off of silver ball on spotify it's it's nice and catchy it's good still makes me feel weird weird about where music is in this day and age with (laughs) just like no just the fact that like so many people just have access to or or just go and listen to singles yeah or just listen to things through playlists because i assume that's where a lot of those plays came through you know like canadian alternative 2010s or whatever it is yeah, that's such a good point, actually. It's true. It might not be someone who's specifically going to like seek out the song, but something, yeah, yeah, on a curated playlist like that. And it makes me sad because this is not the single that I would have hoped would have had that many listens because there's a much, much better single, in my opinion, that's coming up. Uh, maybe it's the next track, Say What You Want.
spoiler, it's not the next track. No, okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's not that one. I, I do like this song. It is the second of the three singles. Quote from Ed Robertson on this song, Say What You Want is a celebration of letting go. It's about feeling confident and realizing that you can't control what other people do or say. You can only control how you react to it. It's a very triumphant song for me. And I like that message. It's kind of similar to Get Back Up. I also really like the way he sings this song. There's a lot of vulnerability in his voice. Yeah, and there's a lot... Uh, Ed sometimes breaks into that like rock and roll falsetto, but he only busts that out occasionally when it really, really warrants it. And it's really, really strong on this yeah. song. It really, really works. Yeah, 100%. Apparently Tyler Stewart really, really wanted this to be the first track on the album and was like fighting with everybody to try to get it as the first track. It does blow my mind that this was the lead-off single mm. to the entire album. Like, this was the song that they released first to be like, oh, get ready for, for Silverball, which is great. Like, I actually really do enjoy this song, but it just seems like the fact that, like, you didn't do Duct Tape Heart, which is a bit more upbeat, or the actual, like, eponymous single, Silverball, like, it, it's just yeah. it's just odd. Like, an odd choice, but I do like this song. It is... I think when you were talking about how there's three songs that could be better singles, this is the song I think that is the weakest of the three. Hmm. I think this, yeah, I again, I think Duct Tape really does work as a single. I like this as a single, though. Again, it's not the top of my list, but I think it, I think it works. I, again, I didn't make this connection. This is purely the band speaking through that commentary stuff that I listened to. But Ed said that he really likes how this song reminds him of like a Brian Adams song. Hmm. Like, it has this kind of, like, chest-thumping, good old Celine Dion chest-thump kind of feel to it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons it really does work as a single. This is the song, lyrically, that I was like, surely this isn't also about Steve again. Yeah. Do you think Do you think it is? Is this the one that you're like, ah? Uh? This, is, this is the one where I feel like there's the line about running through the timelines, picturing the headlines. Oh, that's so funny, because... I have a song that's coming up later that I think is about Steve. So we've got all of these ones and I thought we'd line up, but I, I could see that actually. We interrupt this regular scheduled podcast to go into our sub podcast for our next track, the Kevin Hearn Appreciation Station. The next track is Passcode. Whenever we are far apart, you send a message that makes me so happy. Happy. Passcode. I love this song for all the wrong reasons. It's so goddamn All camp. the wrong reasons? I think that there's only good reasons to like this song. This is a great tune. Oh, I, I love it. I love it so much. But I guess, and especially, it's funny because I wrote all these things down and then I did a bit more research and then I learned it was actually just a direct response to his most recent cancer diagnosis at that stage because he had a second bout of cancer when this album was being recorded. But as I first listened to it and the whole thing, like, it's just, it's so 70s synth pop. It's so campy. It's so infectiously optimistic that, like, anyone else, I'd just be like, oh, what is this? But it's done with such earnestness and so much, like, free of irony. It's so good. Just the, makes me so happy, happy, happy. It's a fun quote from Tyler to that 
point uh, saying that he really likes that this is just a straight up love song. Uh, we don't have a lot of those. <laughs> says, says, there's no dark undercurrents. There's no double meanings. It's not a happy song masquerading as a suicide anthem. That's... It's, 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 <laughs> Again, that is not my, that is a quote from Tyler Stewart. Those are not my words. I also love that man, like low key, Tyler Stewart just has like so many golden quotes. Like every, every quote that you've had so far in terms of this commentary has just been Tyler Stewart. He's just dropping gold. He's a very funny guy. It was mostly on the commentary tracks. It was mostly Ed and Tyler, but like Tyler would just jump in with comedy gold at all times. It was great. I feel like Passcode is very much Kevin Hearn's public image and personality personified just this happy affable like ah shucks i'm just happy to be here Uh, and also in the commentary stuff it's mostly ed and tyler but when they get to this one kev comes in and he opens the commentary but ed and tyler have just been casually joking and just casually saying off the cuff stuff the entire time and this this commentary opens with kevin just going passcode to my heart it's in the key of c (laughs) which was and then says it's uh, it was just a fun idea I had. <laughs> like, it was also the most on-brand thing that he could possibly say. Also, so fairly, uh, the style of this song when he wrote it was inspired by, like, he wanted it to kind of sound like a Tony Bennett song, which I thought was kind of cool, like an old-timey crooner oh, kind of feel. I could totally yeah. see that. It's got such lounge lizard vibes, which is great. And one of the things I think makes that is the backing vocals from the rest of the band are so on point when they're singing as well. And you don't, you actually don't hear a lot of backing vocals in Kevin Hearn's songs as part of BNL. So it was a really cool, nice kind of change of face to see like the rest of the band backing him. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, I just love it. It's also such a stark contrast and we'll get to it later of like, this is Mm -hmm. so, so happy. And then the other song that he added to the album is just so, so dark. Oh yeah. I never thought of that as like a two song duology before, but those are very, very, ooh. And then I was also really, really excited because in the commentary tracks, they confirmed a thought that I had had originally about this song. Because I was saying, it's like, oh, this, there's something about the beat in this that really reminds me of Mr. Blue Sky by ELO. And it turns out that after Kevin was talking about the Tony Bennett references, again, Tyler Stewart, genius man, says, I think this would be a better place to put the uh, rhythm section. And he then played Mr. Blue Sky by ELO. And it was directly a wrestler. I was like, aha, I can recognize references. This is great. It's such a good song. And it's also just, again, like just Kevin Hearn's lyrical analogies. Is This is very much like vanishing. He's just like, uh, passcodes. You've got the passcode to my heart. This is about someone <laughs> dialing in a a number and they've got my heart started vanishing was like it's about a magician he's hoping and wishing and then he's vanishing <laughs> yeah is this, also is this becoming like a concept album about robots because we've got someone with a heart that's been repaired with duct tape we've got someone with a heart that has a passcode on it are they all synthetic life forms what's happening they're all parts of an overall pinball machine about the robots taking over <laughs> it's a very loose concept uh the next track is hold my hand This, I'm guessing, is not your third single. It is not. All right, thank goodness. It is not. Although, I do like this song. Um, it would be forgettable 
For me, if it wasn't for the falsetto backing vocals, the backing vocals that are just like very high-pitched falsetto, it's so good. And that's actually the only hook that I listened to it a few times and I went, oh, okay, I think this is the unique part of this song. Based on the lyrics, I think it's a song about the stability and trust of a long-term relationship, which is nice. Yeah. It's a bit of an yeah. opposite thing where it's not challenges. It's more about the comfort that you get in terms of um, the length of time you have in a relationship. And that could be, you know, a lover or a friend. Yeah, no, this definitely does feel thematically similar to Matter of Time and Here Before, or like even like kind of similar to Smile off the last record. Just kind of like the theme of the up and downs in a lengthy relationship, but attacked in a really mature way. Like it's, ah, it's mature boy Robertson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Coming back again. With the- it's not sad boy Paige, it's mature man Robertson. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, fun fact I didn't know about this song. Apparently, this was a full band take. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So that's cool. Nice. Yeah. They didn't record yeah. it naked, did they? <laughs> I don't believe that they did. Or at least, if they still do that tradition, they have not gone on record saying which song it is that they did that for this one. I imagine Kevin Griffin just shows up like, what day are you doing that thing that you do? Because I'm going to make sure that I'm busy that day. <laughs> Chris Hadfield shows up. He's like, all right, well, <laughs> pick the wrong day to drop by. <laughs> <laughs> also killer guitar solo in this song yeah guitar solo the falsettos yeah. like it has enough elements that i won't skip it but i'm also like it's a good kind of bridge between it's a good bridge between two of my favorite songs on the album it's between <laughs> passcode and well there's a bit of a spoiler uh the next track which is narrow yeah. streets Streets is my favorite song on this album. I love it, and I'm hoping... I think this song is a lot of people's favorite song on this album. As a couple of friends of mine that have made playlists of recent songs, and this shows up fairly regularly. That being said, is this your third single? It is not. <gasps> I was actually banking a lot on that. I know. It would have been a good choice, but it is not. All right. Uh, To me, it's just, it's a terrific song and it evokes so many memories and feelings just growing up in the city of Toronto. And I just love how geographically specific of a love song it is. According to the band, if you just tally up all of the Toronto references in this song and plug them into Google Maps and go to those coordinates, you'll just be standing on Jim Cregan's porch. (laughs) Like this is a low-key scavenger hunt to find Jim Cregan's house. You found me. Here's Silver Ball on vinyl, and here's some uh, Picard's uh, chips from the core of the dairy. Again, according to Tyler Stewart, he's like, yeah, when Jim writes songs, he just really likes to sing about his immediate vicinity. <laughs> like, just what's right in front of him, out the window. Community Cregan, we call him. Listen, we've talked about how much we love Kevin Hearn on this podcast. Now I'm starting to turn around on Tyler Stewart. He sounds like the guy that I'd want to hang out with the most. <laughs> he sounds now. like a really cool dude. What do you think of this song? Um, I have mixed feelings on this song because I love the lyrics and I love the music and I'm not sure that they fit together. Okay, that makes sense. 
I feel like it's kind of weird how fast and super duper like riff rock rock and rolly the song is compared to the lyrical content which is so like sweet and calming and pastoral it, like I feel like musically it should have been more like Peterborough or even like When I Fall or like a track later in this one like or even more like Globetrot mm. I feel like the lyrics would have fit better with like a song of that type of musical feeling but it's just so hard and fast and frenetic yeah fair yeah which i feel like is a kind of a weird juxtaposition but i mean just so many toronto references i like it it's really funny because i didn't know where you were going where you're like i don't know i love the lyrics i love the music and i'm like well what else is there (laughs) (laughs) but it makes sense because of that i actually the version the version of this song that's on the duet album with the persuasions that they put out two years later i actually like a lot more than this album version of it okay yeah yeah I actually kind of like the fast tempo for it. I think it works uh, really well, but I could very much see in the lyrical content of it, yes, it is such a beautiful, quaint love song that it is kind of jarring, the fact that it's so upbeat, but I I think that that's what kind of drew me to it in the first place, and the lyrics Mm. came secondary after that. Apparently, uh, the reason that Jim wrote this song is not just because he always likes to write about his immediate vicinity, but apparently what spurred him to write this song, he got really bummed out after viewing a long argument thread on his neighborhood's community Facebook page. Aww. I was just like, no, we're better than this. I'm going to write a song about how great our neighborhood is. What a sweet man. What a sweet man, Jim Cregan. And he's a member of his neighborhood's community Facebook page. Which is somewhere between Dundas and, and Queen. Queen. Across from Trinity Bellwoods. Must be, because I mean get off at Strawn. It's very true, which is also very funny because you can tell that when you look up the lyrics uh, via Google, it is not someone who grew up in Toronto because that is get off at strong, S-T-R-O-N-G. And I'm just like, that's not right. So yeah, that that makes me sad that uh, Jim Cregan, but I'm glad that he actually was able to keep the peace. He didn't have to go into any fights. He didn't have to go toe to toe with any, well, next track is toe to toe. (laughs) So we go. Toe to toe, never knowing what our cards were. Even though, blow by blow, we cannot let down our guard. We should know that if we show just a small amount of kindness, then we won't go toe to toe anymore. Love's a gamble. I thought that was a good joke. Aw, <laughs> oh, thanks. It doesn't work where it was like you have to go toe to toe with. Any one, oh no, just keep up the... <laughs> I really like the song. I, I think it could have fit really well on Grinning Streak, actually. So you talked about how, like, this is Grinning Streak 2.0. This is the first... This is a song that really kind of drove that point home to me. Or even in, like, the Page BNL years. I feel like this song could have very much fit into the kind of, like, songbook or discography of when Stephen Page was there. I think it's that strong. I really do like this song. Yeah, this is the one Ed Robertson acoustic country banger on this track. Does that mean that it's your third single? It is not. If the third single that you have in your mind is the one I think, we're going to have differing opinions. Oh, no! (laughs) But that's for later. Tell me what you think about Toe to Toe, aside from being a country banger. There's not much else that I have to say, because again, that is my favorite subgenre of Bare Naked Ladies songs, and I love this song because of it. I was really kind of missing the folky acoustic feeling on this album, because there is so much heavily produced, layered, electric rock and roll sort of stuff on this album. 
So I'm really glad that as an album track, they were just able to slip in a nice kind of really stripped down acoustic track. And yet again, this definitely feels, again, like it revisits that theme of getting into fights, but that not mattering because your relationship is strong enough. Which is a really nice theme I like in their posts, like just like their mm-hmm. later years, because we've talked yeah. about that for a lot. Like that's why Maybe Not is probably one of my favorite oh, songs so by them, good. because it has yeah. that same theme. Yeah, Toe to Toe, good mm-hmm. song. I guess we'll, we'll move on because that, uh, wrapping that one up was a piece of cake. Hey! It was a piece of cake, but making cake's not easy. Sometimes the one you take can make a mess as we'll see Never wanted out I was leaning on This is the song I thought was also about Steve. I think the internet is with you on that one. Every song that is about a breakup could be about Steve, but I think the bridge lyrics everybody knows but no one knows what went wrong, so the story goes, you never let truth get in the way of a good song, seems like a direct reference to You Run Away. And like all of the other songs that have been obliquely about that band split, I also made a note of those lyrics specifically. Yeah, so I think you're, I think maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. (laughs) But I don't think so. Um, also, you talk about writing down specific lyrics because I know how much of a fan you are about Spider-Man. Did you get a, uh, a squeal out of the J. Jonah doppelganger line? Uh, I did yesterday when I was looking at the lyrics of this song. The, since 2015, I didn't think he was saying J. Jonah. I thought he was saying Jake Jonas. <laughs> okay. Who I assumed was one of the Jonas brothers, but it turns out, no, there is no Jake Jonas. <laughs> He's their distant uncle. I would have realized that I was mishearing it had I known who any of the Jonas Brothers are. Uh, But no, now that I know that that's what that reference is, I love it. And also, yeah, specifically with Ed's haircut, he does have a J. Jonah Jameson kind of vibe going on. He doesn't have the mustache, but... And I'm really curious, does that mean that he thinks he looks like a actual, like the comic version of it? Or does he think he just resembles J.K. Simmons, but with hair? (laughs) Well, J.K. Simmons just looks like J. Jonah Jameson from the, like... Like, you could have just ripped him out of a comic book page in that movie. I know. Like, that That is, like, ugh. textbook casting. And I also, like, I'm going off yeah. on a weird tangent now, but I feel like J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson is pretty much what saved him from being typecast as, like, an evil Nazi coming off of Oz. He did Oz before Spider-Man? I thought that was... Oh. It was before Enduring, because I think Oz premiered in, like, 90, yeah. 98 or 99, and it went to, like, 2005. Yeah. So it was right in that period where it's like, oh, I can do something comedic and funny. Oh, that's so weird. People aren't just going to think of me as like the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood because I get that acting is acting and people are playing roles, but there's a very real percentage of people who'll be like, you're a Nazi. And it's like, no, it's a role. (laughs) That's so weird. I absolutely thought that Oz was like a 2004 or like a mid 2000s series, not like a late 90s sort of thing. But so I've talked about what I think about the song, what I feel about it. What, What are your thoughts on Piece of Cake? I really, really love this song. Guessing Game. Is this, uh, I'm going to say that Globetrot might be your third single, or is this one? No, it's this one. Oh, thank God, no, I hate Globetrot. No, no, I hate Globetrot. No, it's this one. I don't dislike Globetrot. We'll get into that. No, I really, really like Piece of Cake. It was the standout song to me when the album first came out, which is kind of weird because it's like buried so deep in the back half of the album. Yeah. 
yeah this was the this was the song that i put on my like yearly music journal mixtape playlist thing that year i really really like it there's something about the guitar riff at the end of every verse line that there's something about the way that guitar riff hits that just makes me smile every time i hear it and it happens like 12 times in the song <laughs> it's so good i definitely think this should have been a single fun fact Ed's son, Lyle Robertson, plays the guitar solo on this song. Oh, cool. It's so cute. Yeah. I like that. The uh, Lyle Robertson who opened up for the Bare Naked Ladies at Massey Hall that one time. That Exactly. You were there. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because this was the Bare Naked Ladies track that I put on that yearly mixtape I made. The one, uh, it, it was on the one I made the year that Megan and I started dating. Megan, my wife. Aww. Which meant that I, this song came on in the car a lot during the first year of our relationship. And Megan is an interesting person when it comes to music because she will, every time this song came on, she would just go, oh, it's that cake song. <laughs> cake, 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 cake. They're just saying cake over and over again. I, like, I, th- I don't think she hated this song, but I think that she disliked how often they repeated the word cake specifically. And it became very, I don't know, it, it feels special to me because of that as well. Did you also have a song by the band Cake on that playlist? Because that would be really good just to mess with her. No, but again, Nugget of Wisdom from Tyler Stewart. Apparently that was the original title of this song and they decided to not name it that because they did not want it to get confused with the band Cake. People look it up on Spotify, what are, what are they going to say? It's like, oh no. <laughs> so Piece of Cake excellent i failed i went 0 for 3 on the single guessing game although again i think this is why i'm not a record executive because i think that my darling wife megan is right that they do repeat the word cake too many times for this to be put on the radio i don't know if any of the other members of the band are cake or baking enthusiasts it could have been the lead-off yes. single for their concept album <laughs> This album is only 45 minutes, too, so it actually goes at a really quick clip, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Globetrot is the next song. So you had your head down, mopping the floor. If you were gonna wreck it next, then what was it for? I guess it doesn't matter much, not anymore. Globetrot, if that's what you gotta do. Don't stop, so you make the best of you. Globetrot. I'm getting used to you I did what I had to do And I don't like it I think it's fine It was stuck in my head yesterday That do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do I like it It's pretty much it I feel like we could just move on Alright, next track <laughs> Yeah, I like it because So many songs are singly On this album And this feels more like a like an album track and there's not a lot of those on this one yeah yeah no that's fair there's um a guy who did a review for a fan site of the bare naked ladies when this album came out and he put globetrot as the standout and probably the best thing the bare naked ladies have ever done and i went what motherfucker what what? And he wasn't even just talking about the post-page albums. He was like, oh, no, probably one of the best things they've ever done as a band. And I'm like, what a specific and weird hill to die on. Of all of the songs, you chose this one. Uh-huh. Uh, suffice it to say, I do not agree with uh, that reviewer, but, you know, to each their own. Yeah. yeah. Globetrot is not the anywhere near their best stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like you 
don't care enough about this song to have an answer to this question, but do you have any thoughts on the meaning of this song? Because I found this, I found this one particularly difficult to parse. No, I don't. And that's the thing, like doing, I was going to say journalistic integrity, which sounds really wonky, yeah. but doing like my, my uh, due diligence as a, uh, as a podcast host. We have to do that. We are legally required. We have to. Yeah. We've broken so many laws. I, yeah, I really don't. I think that it's just, it was incredibly forgettable to me, which is so funny that you said it was stuck in your head yesterday because there are so many other songs that I find more catchy. But no, not not really. What are your What are your well, thoughts? I think I think I think that it was stuck in my head yesterday just because yeah, just because of that Kevin Hearn key line that <laughs> like it was just that that was stuck in my head over and over again. Yeah, I found this song really difficult to parse the meaning of, so I don't really have a ton of thoughts on that. My cat is super duper guest starring on this I love it. episode, by the way. Whenever, just immediately starts meowing every time I talk. In the commentary track, there was, like, they didn't talk about the meaning at all, but there was at one point during the commentary track where Ed just, he said something along the lines of, like, ah, yes, it's quite difficult, much like touring as a married man. And I was saying, like, oh, are we getting some insight into <laughs> the meaning of this song? Or something? But then uh. he didn't elaborate? And so I then tried to read the lyrics with that line in mind, but I still wasn't getting anything. I don't know. Man, that's why they started touring with a pinball machine. <laughs> oh, touring as a married man. Just take this pinball machine and stay in your dressing room. <laughs> Though, again, because that keyboard line did get stuck in my head, another nugget of wisdom from Tyler Stewart on the commentary track, Tyler saying that Kevin Hearn has a master's degree in moments. Oh. In reference to the... The, the key riff in this song. That's so evocative. It makes me sad that he hasn't written more songs because he has a gift for uh, for wordplay there. A master of it's moments. True. I like that. Damn. <laughs> All right. It's stuck yeah. in my head now. I don't have a cool segue, but we are on our second last track of the album, and it is the eponymous Silver Ball. third single of the album um oh, this is a terrific song i love this song and it blows my mind that this was not the lead-off single to promote the album this is very interesting because i say why was this a single like i get that it's i get that it's important because it's the name of the record but the actual song itself i'm like yeah this is fine differing opinions this is exciting very differing opinions i yeah. this is probably my second favorite song after uh, narrow streets Cool. And it may be blasphemous to say, but I think this is the better pinball song than that other song about pinball that was written by that band many years ago. Apologies to our fellow rocket scientist, Brandon Hackett, who is a massive fan of The Who, but I stand by it. Uh, sorry, two of the other three members, I can't speak for Kevin McNeil, but both Brandon Hackett and I are huge fans of The Who. I've been listening to Quadrophenia all week. This all week, I've been listening to Silverball and Quadrophenia by The Who. When I was just a young boy, I played the Silverball. No, I didn't. Uh, when I was, and ever since I was a young boy, one of the first things that really 
lit up my internal hidden passion for the theater that set me on the path that I'm on. Um, and also my passion for certain types of music is that when I was, I think one of the first shows I ever was taken to by my family as a little kid was the musical version of Tommy by The Who. And that just immediately made me fall in love with both theater and that band when I was a kid. And I, yeah, no, Pinball Wizard is one of the greatest songs ever written. I'll fight you. That's really interesting. I knew that you're a massive fan of The Who, it's true. Um, it's Brandon's yeah. favorite band, but I, I don't know. I, I, for some reason, really? yeah, it, it is his favorite band. Why did that? Why did we that uh, there, there's another podcast there's a side podcast for you and brandon exactly oh. well we're going off tangent now you can edit this out if you want but it's um no, i always fine. i always just associate you with you too essentially because i know you're a massive you too fan you can have more than one favorite band yes but i didn't i don't yeah. think that we ever talked about how much you love the who so that's interesting no and also like and the who is not they're not one of my favorite favorite bands like i like bare naked ladies more than i like the who but they were very very important to me and they were one of the first bands that i really really liked okay yeah because i started getting into the who specific well i didn't really start getting into the who i got into specifically the album tommy when i was like nine yeah and then i only really started getting into the rest of their records like when i was in grade eight sorry when i was in uh like in mid high school like grade 10 or 11 right. but i got into u2 in grade eight because there was an english teacher that i had in grade eight who really really liked u2 and kept on using every opportunity that he could to like use u2 lyrics as like poems to analyze in my grade eight english class oh that's great no i also got into u2 because they were featured heavily on a movie soundtrack the movie blown away starring i think jeff bridges and tommy lee jones that came out in like 1994 what a deep cut and there was like two songs of theirs that were featured on that that movie soundtrack that i watched when i was like 10 and i was like oh those songs are really really good i'd also imagine not just poetry it's just like you go into like chemistry it's like and helium can give you elevation it's like what is this school but yeah, so I yes. do love The Who. I think The Who are great. And I do love Pinball Wizard. But to bring it back around to this song, I don't know. I just I just think it's fantastic. The musicianship is so good. I think it's actually the deepest song musically. Mm. Like we talked about the guitar riffs. We talked about the percussion. But there's so many layers and so many things going on in this song. And we talked about uh, Globetrot and, you know, the catchy kind of piano hook of that. The synths in this song, my God, are so yeah. good. And probably my last opinion of this song is that I really, we've got one more song to go, but I wish this was the closer. Yeah. No disrespect yeah. to the song afterwards. This would have been a much better closer. Or even if it was 2015, so this wouldn't have made any sense. But if they had just put 30 seconds of silence between this song, hidden track, and just make it another hidden sun, I think that would have worked. Yeah. So what about it is, why don't you like it, Ephraim? No, it's not forgettable. What, what is it about the song that just is, because I'm so passionate about it, I'm just curious as to why it doesn't do it for you. It feels like, a, like so much of the song feels like a single because it is a single, but it's also, it's too slow for me to be a single. Okay. Yeah, so like, it, it really does feel like a good closer to me. I don't know. I'm a I'm a sucker for catchy stuff. This is why I do mm. really really like you know like I really dig into the singles and stuff like that. And it just because it is so slow and like again quite well written and introspective. It's not that catchy to me, so it doesn't okay. stick in my head. Unlike piece of cake where cake 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 cake. It's very catchy, so that one pops out to me um I, there's a lot of stuff i do like about this song it's very very dramatic uh the the arrangement is really really cool um the like overarching pinball metaphor in the lyrics of 
a pinball game as a relationship is really cool. It's like the lighting someone up, pushing their buttons, uh, all that stuff. I really, really like that stuff. Again, it, yeah, I think it's just that it's not catchy to me. I love the Lord of the Rings reference. That's great. And now, now that I think more about what pinball games are like, is it specifically a Lord of the Rings pinball reference? Oh, 100%. Uh, I imagine that that is, it, it is very specific, but also could be like an analogy. It's, it's, it's good stuff. But you do agree this should have been the closer? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool because it's not. The closer and the final track of this album is Tired of Fighting With You. don't want to say any anything negative about this song because it feels bad because it's a very personal song by Kevin Hearn. It mentions his daughter in this and go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I cut you off. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, because before we get into the serious real meaning of this song, Kevin Hearn refused to say anything about the real meaning of this song in the commentary tracks and did an extended bit about a fake meaning of this song saying, ah, yes. This song I wrote, Tired of Fighting with Hugh, <laughs> Hugh Marsh, the violin player that they brought in to play at the beginning of Piece of Cake. <laughs> he just was really bugging him in the studio and really forced him to write this whole song about he was tired of fighting with Hugh Marsh, the violin player. Did he tell the uh, audience what key this song was in? He did not. Oh, he did not. It. Yeah, so I, I mean, it mentions his daughter in this song, um, who has, uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but um, a very rare disease called lysencephaly, and it's a rare and inoperable brain disorder, which mm. prevents her from speaking or standing. That family, man. Jeez. I know. Like, Kevin's health problems, his kids' health problems? Lord. Well, and this is the thing, is that like what he was told that he could never have kids because of his oh, wow. health problems um, oh, and, and issues. And then when he did have um, his daughter, like he was a miracle child, and then he, they were told that she wouldn't make it past 10, which is the age that she was when Silverball oh, was Lord. released. And so this was all in an article I read uh, from 2019, and she was still very much alive and well at 14 at that stage, which is fantastic. But I mean, thinking about this, if he's told this, it's just... It's very, very personal and clearly tired of fighting with you. We, we joke, you know, his analogies aren't exactly subtle. I, I very much do believe that this is a song about the mother of his daughter and about how it's just not worth it and how it, it won't work out because I believe that they aren't together anymore. Yeah. Ugh. That being said, it's amazing that they gave him this platform. Mm -hmm. Very personal, very cool that it's the closer. It's just, it, it should have been somewhere else on the album. I think so too, yeah. I feel like despite the fact that there are a lot of songs about getting in fights in relationships in this album, the, re the rest of them are so much about like moving past that and this song doesn't feel like it is. Yeah. And it just feel it's just, it's really good because it clearly is so personal and feels so meaningful, but it's just so heavy. Like it's such a heavier song emotionally than anything else on the album. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I know. Again, like that being said, it's very cool that they still are leaning on Kevin a lot. 
Um, you know, he's kind of got this yeah. average of at least two songs per album in the post uh, Stephen Page mm-hmm. years, and good on him for actually really wearing his heart on his sleeve because by all accounts, he's a very positive, very lovely person kind of just based on what you said in the commentary but he is a very private person and that's no, nothing wrong with that yeah. but i think that this is probably him at his most vulnerable and the most vulnerable that we'll ever see yeah mm-hmm. so yeah well it's a bit of a weird downer but that's the album that that is the album it sure is that is Silverball bringing the energy right back up um ephraim final thoughts on this Again, one of the reasons one of the reasons why not sure it should have been the closer because look what it did to our episode. Oh, oh geez, remember how happy we were talking about Silverball? What if that was the final track? Oh, geez. Um, my final thoughts are I'm so happy. I was so surprised and happy listening to this album again because again, I do really remember my initial thoughts of it from 2013 as being, eh, this is fine. They should have taken a longer time to put something more meaningful together but i i think i was i think 2015 me was wrong this is really really good i feel like clearly grinning streak is a high point in their career to us similar to stunt and i think that silverball is absolutely the maroon to grinning streak stunt it is definitely a similar follow-up that is not as good as its predecessor but is so close so so close and I love it. I really like that analogy. I really like the maroon stunt analogy. I feel very similar. I think that revisiting this, I definitely gave it, uh, I didn't give it a fair shake the first time I listened to it. There are some really catchy songs on here. I think that uh, Narrow Streets and Silver Ball are going to be in heavy rotation because I've really enjoyed listening to them these past couple of weeks, and I will continue to afterwards, which is good. I, I think similar with me. I think I never really dug deep into here before. Before, Like, I just love the, the drums and the keys on that song, and I think I'm going to be listening to that song way more than I ever did in, since this record came out, so yeah. And a funny little uh, meta note here, uh, 45 minutes is the album, but I think that this is going to be our longest episode because Ephraim and I have been recording for an hour and a half at this stage, so we'll see what happens. There was a lot to talk about in this album, and that, and that was great. Uh, it's possible. Usually when I start editing, the episodes are hanging out around 120. And according to my time right now, I've only hit 125 right now. So I feel like this might be a pretty average length episode. But we'll see. We will see. Well, then, <laughs> listeners, maybe you will never hear any of this. And maybe Ephraim's taking care of it. But that's okay. Next episode is a very important episode because it is the end of the Bare Naked Ladies studio releases to date. We are going to get into fake nudes uh, the next time that we speak. It's a terrible title. It is. And hopefully, <laughs> first impressions, terrible title. <laughs> It's a terrible, it's a terrible title. I remember listening to this not having the warmest reception, but hopefully uh, it'll be a silver ball again. And uh, I, I'm really excited to revisit it and talk about the final album before we get into some special mm-hmm. content because, you know, we might have run out of albums, mm-hmm. but I haven't run out of talking to you. So we're going to have to do some uh, retrospective stuff. Yeah. There's certainly some old-timey concert anecdotes that I haven't been able to uh, shoehorn into any record episodes. Uh, we still haven't talked about The Magic of Christmas. <laughs> We still haven't talked about tons of stuff. Snack time, Stratford, live albums. Uh, I don't want to talk about uh, kids' albums. I don't know. We'll get into that later. Oh, one more thing about uh, subsequent episodes. It has been put out there that the band is going to be putting out a new record sometime in 2021. So I think we should do an episode about that. Megan Speakman, my darling wife, had a 
I think, interesting idea of how we could do that episode. And I want to ask you on air what you think of that idea. Lay it on me. So should we do it like a normal episode like this, where we come in with notes and our thoughts and listen to it? Or should we do a live first listen together? I think a live first listen together has a lot of merit, actually. Yeah. I like that. Because I think it might be interesting for our 26 unique listeners per week. Hells yeah. Maybe we'll get up to 28 that week. <laughs> Those extra two people. <laughs> my dad's going to listen along with my mom. <laughs> my dad hasn't listened yet, but I think my mom is still listening and every week says... This show's still about the bare naked ladies? <laughs> does your mom understand the concept of podcasts? I don't think that she does. Uh, well, in order to uh, maybe gain a couple more listeners here and there uh, and spread the word, Ephraim, where can people find you in between episodes? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Ephraim Ellis. Uh, you can't really find me anywhere else on the internet, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, privacy is yeah. important. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you have to give out your goings on, man? <laughs> Whatever, it ain't a yearbook, it's your life. <laughs> I say that now, and I'm about to plug my social, so what a hypocrite I am. You can find me on Twitter at csmall201. You can find me on Instagram at csmalltraveler. Uh, you can follow the Clothed Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies' official Twitter handle at cmdbnl. And please make sure while you are listening on whichever device and whatever platform you are, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the radio give us a like give us a subscribe uh give us give us a review tell us what you think what did you think of silverball what do you think of us please be kind but uh you know what uh, we would love to hear your feedback uh you can also write to us at clothemembnl at gmail.com we actually have gotten a couple of emails which is exciting and then i found out that they were just spotify promotions but every time that i see something come up no. every time i see a new mail come up on that email i'm very excited Ephraim, as always, it was a pleasure. Until the next time that we speak about fake nudes, I'm Chris Small. And I'm Ephraim Ellison. And we, and we have, have been, been clothed the, the whole time. time. Take it easy, everyone.